Well, we are beginning a brand new series today called Parenting in the Year 2022. And it's probably a great time to talk about this. And, and this, is, this is a series for anybody who is a parent. And, you know, I, I think all the parents in this room will agree, right? You, you never quit being a parent, right? So, I mean, whether you have um, a, a baby and you're like, well, parenting really hasn't started yet. Oh, yes, it has. Trust me, okay? Parenting did start. And, or if you have a toddler or a grade school kid or even a teenager or a middle schooler or a college-age kid or even if your kid is in their 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever it may be, I mean, you're always a parent. And, and parenting is hard. And, and, and parenting is one of those things that, you know, I mean, nobody gave us a manual for, right? And the thing, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. Parenting is so, so very important. But here's the thing. I know, and some of you, I already posted this on our group page, so you guys are probably, you know, checking me for how accurate I am for memorizing my sermon right now. I mean, when I, we, we've never really done a parenting series. In 10 years, we've never done a parenting series because I'm fully aware that some of you are not parents. Some of you are newlyweds. Some of you have wanted a kid, but you're unable to have a kid. Some of you, you have no interest in kids at all. Some of you are single. Some of you aren't married. And, you know, anytime, one of the reasons we've never done this is because, like, it kind of excludes lose a group, you know, and my wife, she's great. She's the foundation of this place. Um, she, she said to me, she goes, are you really going to do a series on this? Because I mean, you're excluding all these different people. And I said, well, but, but here's the thing. And I, I want you to hear this, especially if you're not a parent or even if you're like, a, a, you're in here today and you're a teenager, right? Because you're like, well, I'm checking out. This isn't for me, but it is for you. Because here's the thing, even though you may not be a parent, you are still an influencer, you still have an impact to make on this next generation. And I'll tell you, man, when I was growing up, I grew up a pastor's kid, and I, I didn't have any aunts. I, I have two uncles, one who, who has passed away, one who deals with um, a, a list of illnesses all the way from schizophrenia to, to MS. And so, you know, when, when there was those times where I didn't feel comfortable going to my parents, or even the people that I looked up to most, do you know who I went to? I went to the guys who were older than me in the church. You know, whenever I, I had an issue or I wanted to talk to somebody or I, I needed to tell somebody something that I felt uncomfortable telling my parents, I, I went to my youth sponsors. I went to Tim Dillo, Brad Chapman, Jim Chapman, James Allison, guys who were like my uncles, my older brothers within the church. And let me tell you something. My kids, see, every Sunday, something, right? Man, my kids, my kids love so many of you in this room. Every single weekend, every single weekend, it is my kids, it is my five-year-old son and my eight-year-old next week uh, daughter, and yeah, and, uh, and she goes, man, can we go hang out with Danny and Kristen? Are the Hellmans going to be there? Is Uncle Darren going to be there? When is, when is Martha going to be here? I mean, my kids adore you and look up to you like you are their family like you are their second parents, like you are their second grandparents. So I want you to hear me very, very carefully. If you're sitting in here today or you're watching at home and you're like, well, this isn't a series for me because I don't have kids or I don't want kids or I'm too young to have kids or whatever it may be, I want you to hear this. 
everyone, everyone will make a contribution to the success or the demise of the next generation. So you have reason to lean in. You have reason to listen. Because whether you like it or not, how you live your life will impact their lives. And around here, the question that we talk about around the leadership table is this, is how much is the next generation worth to us? And here is the answer, everything. It is worth everything to us. It is not about me. It is not about the millennials. It is not about the boomers. It is not about the generation who is saved. It is about the next generation. And we will do anything short of sin to reach the next generation and to make sure that they are set up for success. That is where we have put our investment in. We are trying to create a family tree. We are trying to create a new generation of believers and followers of Jesus. And so I need you to lean in and I need you to pay attention to this because there is more on the line than we could possibly understand, than we could ever realize. And there is a storm coming. There are things coming up in the next decade and beyond that if we do not start to prepare ourselves for now, then we will lose. And so, it's important that you lean in. It's important that you pay attention. And for many of you, the reason you're here, the reason you're listening is because you are a parent and because you know parenting is hard. I mean, when you, when you read the description of this series, you're like, oh my goodness, I have to go to this. We have to be here in town this weekend because, I mean, I'm a parent and I know how difficult it is because you know this to be true, right? Just because I have a parent doesn't mean I know anything about being one. <laughs> and and just, because, just because I was a kid doesn't mean I know everything about raising one, right? I mean, I remember, man, I, I remember when we had Olivia I was scared to death. I, I remember we, we had her at Lake, Lake St. Louis Hospital, and I remember that before we left, we had to go to a class. We had to go to a class before we were dismissed. And so, you know, they, they called us down, and they said, hey, this, this, this uh, class starts at 10 a.m. Come on down. Well, you know what I did? I scooped up my baby, and I started walking down the hall to this class. And I was at one end of the hall, and the nurse at the desk saw me, and she stood up, she slammed her hands on the desk, and she goes, what are you doing with that baby? Put that baby in its cart. Do not carry the baby. Roll the baby down here. And I carefully turned around, and I swear, I walked like I was walking on ice. And I went back to my room, I put Olivia back in her cart, and we rolled her to the class, and I told Kate, I said, are we not supposed to carry the baby at home? Is that not allowed? Do, do we get to take this cart home? Is it that dangerous? Like, oh my gosh, now I'm scared. I remember, this, now Kate loves this story. There was one night I called the emergency hotline, like the after hours nurse, please help me. Do you know what the issue was? Olivia had cradle cap. If you don't know what cradle cap is, or if you're not laughing, it's just baby dry scalp is all it is. But I thought her head was falling apart. And so I called the after hours nurse line, and they're like, sir, what's your emergency? What's wrong? I said, I don't know. I scratch her head and it flakes. What's wrong with her? Does she have dandruff? What do I do? I mean, that was how nerve-wrecked I was. Now you get to the second one. 
you just throw that all out the window. We didn't care, okay? But, you know, but it's, it's nerve-wracking at first. It's terrifying. It, it's, it's horrible. It's so, so hard being a parent. And the thing is about parenting, if I, could, if I could sum up parenting in a sentence, parenting is this. Parenting is preparing kids for their future, right? Again, their future, mom and dad, not your future, their future, preparing kids for their future. How in the world do we do that to the best of our ability? Because I have never met a parent who intentionally wanted to screw this up. And we need to understand that as we show grace to other parents. There is not a parent in the world that wants to screw this up. We all want to do this to the best of our ability. Well, what does that look like? Well, you know, Kate and I, we, we grew up in the church. We, we, we grew up in the church, and we grew up around a lot of families. I mean, I was a pastor's kid. I knew a lot of families. I saw a lot of families that my dad pastored. Kate grew up in the church. She had a lot of families, you know, that were around her all the time. But also, too, you know, when we got married, we pastored in Nebraska, and we were the youth and children's pastors. And so Kate helped me and teach the children, and, and she also helped teach a Sunday school for, uh, class for the youth, and we did it all together. And, you know, over the years, we've seen so many examples of great parents. We've met so many cool families that when we were young and when we were in our 20s, we went, man, when we become parents, we want to be like them. We want a parent like them. We want our family to look like theirs. And we also saw some very bad examples <laughs> where we said, okay, when we become parents, let's not be like them. But the best parents that we found, do you know what they all had in common? And this is something that I feel like our parents had as well. The best parents that we've ever found, they lived in this tension between the real and the ideal. They lived in this tension between helping their families, helping their kids navigate through the reality, through the real of life, but at the same time always aiming for this ideal, this ideal, particular, preferred future. And they lived in the tension between those, dealing with what was real, but constantly aiming for what was ideal at the same time. You get that? You see what that looks like? And that's what I want to flesh out with you today, because honestly, if I could give you any parenting advice at all, th this would be the best place for me to start, is what does it look like to live in this tension between the real and the ideal? And, and, and this is about the only thing I can really give you because, and here, here's the truth, and, and this you may not like this, but, but it's real. There are virtually no good examples of family in the entire Bible. When, when people, like, people I like to use this term, biblical marriage, biblical family, biblical parenting, I'll be honest with you, it makes me cringe. If you could stop using those words, it would make me feel a whole lot better in my stomach. Because I don't know what Bible you're reading, but the Bible is not the place that you want to go for good family function. I mean, it's actually, if you want to go find a place for family dysfunction, go look at the Bible. I mean, you want to start from the beginning? Let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about the very first marriage that, was, that there ever was, Adam and Eve. How did that one end up? Well, one of them was tempted, and the other one blamed the other. They both ended up naked in a bush, hiding from Jesus. I mean, that's probably not the great place to go for biblical marriage advice. 
And then, well, let's get to their sons or their kids, right? I mean, let's just skim over the part about them having incest, right? But then, I mean, we even get to their first sons, Cain and Abel. How did that one <laughs> turn out, right? One of them killed the other one, right? And then we go on and on. We get to David. You want to use David as a biblical example? Really? You want to talk about polygamy? Yeah, let's talk to our kids about biblical marriage and what that looked like for David or Solomon and so on and so on and so on. I mean, let's go through the Bible and let's see if we can find us a, a, good, a good working definition of biblical marriage. Let's look at all the, the people who couldn't have kids and slept with their servant, right? Let's go through that and tell our kids those stories, right? You don't see that in your little cartoon Bible. You know why you don't see that in your cartoon Bible? Because the Bible's not the place to look for these things. Throw out the words biblical family. Throw out the words biblical marriage. Because the Bible is not the place to look for good examples of a, of a good family. It's dysfunction everywhere you go. However, however, when you get to the New Testament, what you see the New Testament writers do is you see them teach us about the teachings of Jesus. And what Jesus did and what Jesus lived out is living in this tension between the real and the ideal. And what Jesus taught and what the New Testament writers taught, when you see James, Peter, uh, Paul go through, they do the same thing. What they do is, is they teach people how to navigate through what is real, but aim for what is ideal. You start with Jesus, right? Jesus always helped people navigate through the reality of things, through what was real. He was so honest and upfront with people. I mean, you take Peter, for example. He goes up to Peter, and he goes, Peter, do you love me? Oh, I sure do, Jesus. I really, really do. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes, no, you don't. <laughs> nope, you really don't. As a matter of fact, you're going to deny me three times, and this is what's going to happen, and then you're going to run off, and you're going to betray me. Oh, no, 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 Jesus, I would never do that. Jesus like, no, that's the reality of things. That's exactly what you're going to do, right? I mean, what does he do? He's dealing with the reality of things. I mean, he did that every time he met somebody. He, he met the woman at the well, and the woman's like, you don't know me. And he's like, this is, this is uh, the person that you were just with. That's not the only person you've been with. Actually, that's not even your only husband. You've been having affairs left and right, haven't you? Uh, wow, okay, that's a little uh, too real for me. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. Jesus dealt with the reality of things. Even how the gospel starts. The gospel doesn't start with once upon a time, everything was hunky-dory and good and sunshine and rainbows. Do you know how the gospel starts? The world was in sin. The world was broken. The world needed a savior, and that is why Jesus had to come. And even the New Testament writers and the disciples, they all knew and they all told people, look, we are working off this assumption that this is a dark place, this is a broken place, you're a failure, and you're probably going to fail at doing this right several times, but that is okay. They always dealt in the real, always helped people navigate through the reality of things, through the brokenness of things, through the honest truth of how things actually were. But at the same time, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, they help people aim for what is ideal. I mean, even take how Jesus taught us to pray. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said this. He said, pray, pray this way. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's not very realistic, right? Jesus wants us to go, oh, Lord, make heaven 
come down to earth. Make earth look like heaven. Would your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth? Well, that's not very practical. That's not very realistic. But that's not the point. Jesus helped people navigate through what was real, but he always told them, always keep your eye on the ideal. Always keep your eye on the target. Even if it's impossible, even if it may not happen in your lifetime, even if it may be beyond your abilities, never stop aiming for what is ideal. And he said, when you pray, our dream, our goal, what our prayer should be is that we would see heaven on earth. When he taught his disciples about marriage, he created this very idealistic idea of marriage that it would be perfect and people wouldn't divorce and he told them don't ever get divorced and do all this. And it was so idealistic, it was so far, such a high bar to reach that when Jesus got done teaching about marriage, do you know what they said? They said, oh my goodness, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to get married. (laughs) They said, let's not do that. Why? Because I don't know if I could ever reach Jesus' standards. I think Jesus' bar is way too high. I don't think I could ever reach that. But that was the point. Jesus always dealed inside of this tension between the real and the ideal, the reality of things, and how things ought to actually be. And this is, this is where we should live as parents and as influencers. This is where you should live in your own life. Helping the next generation navigate through what is real, but still aiming for what is ideal. What does that look like in your life? What what does that look like in your kid's life? What does that look like for our teenagers today? What does that look like for, for our children we, we cannot let go of one for the sake of the other. We, we can't just handle, handle the reality of things and navigate through it as things and go, well, such is life, right? We can't do that. But we also can't let go of the, the ideal things because if we do that, we're, we're stealing their future away from them. We have to live in this tension between both. Now, practically, though, how in the world do we do that? What what does that look like for for a parent? What does that look like for a mentor? What does that look like for an influencer? Well, I think, again, the answer is found in Jesus and who Jesus was. And John, I think John captured it best. It's one of my very favorite memory verses. Again, top five. And I say that a lot, but if you add them up, there's only five of them. But top five, there's something that John said that I just, I think, captured Jesus so well. And and John had this huge advantage. He wrote his gospel way later in life. I mean, way beyond after Matthew and Mark and Luke's account. John writes his way later in life. And he's got all this time to think on this and process this. And he's such a wise man at this point. And so he sits down. Down to write his account, and there's something so important that he says about Jesus. He says this in his very first chapter. He says, the Word became flesh. And when he says the Word, he's talking about the living God, the God. God became flesh, and he made his dwelling place among us. So what John is saying is, you know what, you know what I've realized who Jesus was? Jesus was God on earth. Jesus was God, flesh, and blood, and he was among us. He lived with us. And then John goes on and he goes, and we, we got to see his glory, the glory of the one and only son 
We saw it all. Like the, he didn't hold anything back. There was nothing hidden from us. We got to see God in all of his glory. We got, to, we got to take it all in. It was all available to us. It was all laid out in front of us. And so there's nothing that is hidden from us about who God is. We, we got it all in Jesus. Uh, like, like it said later in the Gospels, everything before was a shadow, but now we got the full, we got the full display of who God really is in Jesus. But then, oh, John, he nails exactly who Jesus is. He gives it gives Jesus probably the best description there is in the Bible. He says this. He goes, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. He was not a balance of grace and truth. He wasn't 50-50 he wasn't a little bit here and a little bit here, or some days he put his mean cop hat on and sometimes he put his good cop hat on. No, 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 he was, he was fully grace, fully truth. Another way to say it is this, Jesus was all grace, all truth, all the time. All grace, all truth, all the time. Now, I don't know about you, but again, I told you, I grew up in church. You know, when I grew up in church, I grew up with a lot of truth. <laughs> I grew up with that truth side. I, I grew up with people telling me that if I did A, B, and C, I was going to hell, right? I mean, and that's truth, but there was no grace attached to it. It was like, hey, here's how it is. It's black and white. If you do this, you're going to dishonor God. If you do this, you're going to disappoint God. And so you need to do A, B, and C, and here's a list of rules, and here's things you should do. And man, don't you know, drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. And I mean, you better stay in this lane, because the truth is, is that this is what God wants for your life. But there was no grace. There was very little grace. And do you know what happens when we're all truth without grace? Grace without truth creates pretenders and hypocrites. Because what happens is, is we, we become so rigid, we become so stuck in this lane. Well, this is the truth, and I can't step out of this. But then every single person that does, we look at them, and we look at how much fun they're having, <laughs> to be honest with you, and we're like, mm. and you know what we do? We, we don't show grace towards those people. And when we're taught purely truth, do you know what we do? We, we, we find these lines, we find these laws, we find this legalistic way to live, but we also we find ways around those, don't we? Because we're like, oh, well, I know how to way to still live truth, but just kind of bit a little bit differently, right? If I, if I say that this is my motives or this is the reason, the thing is, is truth without grace, it creates pretenders and hypocrites. And to be honest with you, this is one of the biggest problems that the world has with the church, is there are people who are full of truth. But the thing is, is we don't, have, we don't show any grace at all. And when they look at our own lives, they find us to be hypocrites in some of the things that we say we believe, but we don't actually live out. But then you got the other side. you got the other side of people who grew up with all grace, but no truth. And man, all grace with no truth? I mean, that's some hippy-dippy stuff right there, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of household, that's the kind of family that just goes, honey, God, God loves you no matter what. 
Go live your life. YOLO. Do what you want. God's always going to take you back, and it's all grace all the time. Don't you worry about a thing. Life is hunky-dory, and it's all going to work out. And just you go be you. But here's the thing. Grace without truth is meaningless and untethered. I mean, if you're not tethered to some truth, boy, you are going to be all over the place. And eventually, somebody's going to get hurt. But it's also meaningless. Because if you're living grace, 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 but you're not tethered to some hardcore foundational truth, man, then what are you really living for? What is is your roadmap for what you do next? Where do you get your wisdom from? Where do you determine what is right and what is wrong? Grace without truth, that doesn't work either. It's meaningless and it's untethered. But the thing is, is if we can learn to be both and the way that Jesus was both, Jesus was all grace and all truth. If we can do that, then here's what happens. Being all grace and all truth can help us help our kids navigate through what is real and aim for what is ideal. This is what we want to do. We want to live in this tension between the reality of things but not let go of the ideal, preferred future that God has for us. Living in that tension, and how can we do that as parents? Because we know that there are going to be times where we're going to have to help our kids navigate through what is real. But at the same time, we can never stop pointing towards what is ideal. How do I do that? By being all grace and all truth. Both. All the time. Not a balance of. Not a, mom, you be all grace, dad, you be all truth. No, for both of you to live this out to be all grace and all truth. Now, I had an interesting conversation with one of you in the room. So everybody look at your neighbor and ask, was it you? Okay. Uh, Somebody called me a couple weeks ago, and they said, said, hey, pastor, me and my wife are having a debate. Will you settle it for us? Which is always a great, I love that. That's my favorite part of my job (laughs) is when you call me with your marriage troubles. And you're on speakerphone, and you're like, one of us is right. Tell us which one it is, okay? It always goes good. And so one of you called me, and you said, uh, they, they said, hey, our, our daughter's coming in town. Our daughter's coming back in town, and she's bringing her boyfriend. And she's bringing her boyfriend, and I know that they have slept over at each other's houses. And I think that they are sexually active. And, and, and pastor, when they come over to our house, I, I'm ready to put my foot down and tell them that they are not sleeping in the same bedroom. And my wife thinks that that's going to make her not want to come here. And so I, I need you to settle this for us. Tell us what I'm supposed to do because I know what they're doing and they're not going to do that in my house. And so you need to tell me what I ought to do. Should I tell her that she, they got, they, they're going to sleep in separate rooms when they're at my house and my or you know do I do you know what my wife wants and just you know let them do what they want because this house doesn't stand for that right and so I was quiet for a minute because I mean I just I was honestly I was sitting in a parking lot eating an ice cream cone at the time all right I'll be fully honest with you I was in my car I was stressed out got a two dollar ice cream cone and I'm just trying to lick it and be with Jesus for a minute. And one of you call me, all right? And I'm like shaking now. So anyway, so I'm thinking about, so I'm quiet, I'm quiet for a minute. I'm swallowing my ice cream. And then they threw me a real curveball. 
This is, this is, this is another level. They go, well, tell, I tell you what, why don't you tell me what you would do if it was Olivia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, hold on, don't make them feel bad or anything. That's a good question, right? Yeah, well, tell me what you would do if it was Olivia. And I was like, all right, let's play this game. This is going to be fun, right? So I threw the ice cream cone out the window, and I, you know, <laughs> put my pastoral wizard hat on, you know? And, uh, and I was like, all right, let's do this. So l- let me get this right. You know that they are sleeping over at each other's houses, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think that they're sexually active. Okay. Have you talked to them about that? Well, no, I don't want to have a conversation with my daughter. (laughs) Okay, but you're uncomfortable with them doing it in your house. Well, yeah. Okay, so it's not the fact that what she's doing, I mean, that bothers you, and you're just going to let her do what she wants to do. But the thing is, is like, your biggest thing is not in this house, right? Because there's, yeah. Okay, and you realize that no matter what parameters you give her over that week, that she's still probably going to go home and, and do what she wants to do, right? Yeah, okay, all right, so as long as we're understanding the same thing. And I said, well, here's the honest truth, okay? If, we're, if this is my daughter, if this is my Olivia, right, and I found out that she was sexually active or she was somewhere in college or a young adult and she was sleeping with somebody, we would have a conversation before she ever got to my house. I would call her and I would talk to her and I'd say, hey, so, so tell me what, what made you make this decision to start doing this? Are you are you being safe? Um, so l- let me ask you. How I mean, you 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 grew up, you know, knowing what we believe and that we follow Jesus. You know what Jesus thinks about this, because I mean, we've already had the sex talk with my daughter, who's eight, and I'm, you you know where we are on this. So I mean, are you? Where do you think Jesus falls with this? Are you still following Jesus? And I said, you know, here's the deal. Me, if it were my daughter, we'd have a conversation before she even got here. Because my biggest concern is not what she's primarily doing under my roof. My, my biggest concern is what she's doing with her life. So we would have already had a conversation. But here's the thing, is if then she was coming and she was coming with her boyfriend, quite honestly, and I'm, I'm being honest with you, I would call my daughter and I would say, hey, Olivia, I, I, I just, I just want to have a conversation with you. You know we've had several conversations about what's going on with you and Declan Ware. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, so we know what's going on between you and Declan. And, um, you know, and you know how I feel about it. And, you know, you and I have had a conversation. And, honey, here's the thing. I don't think that this is what's best for your life. I don't think that this is ideal. I, would, I, I think that what's best for you is that you, you wouldn't be sexually active with somebody that, that you're not married to and that, you know, you would have sexual integrity. But, you know, I, I understand and you've, you've made your decision. And here's the thing. When you come home, here, here's the thing, honey. You know how me and your mom feel about it. You know what we are comfortable with. But, but honey, I, I don't want you to come home and feel uncomfortable. I don't want you to come home and feel like you're being watched or that we're judging you. And so, honey, when you come home, I, I want you to make the decision whether you and Declan stay in the same room or not. And, and I want you to know, me and your mom, we are comfortable with whatever you decide. Because, baby, I love you, and I will love you no matter, no matter what. And so I just want you to know this is what I think is best for you, but I want you to know that the choice is yours, and I will love you regardless of the decision you make. What do you think? Okay? Okay? Good. Honey, write that down, okay? 
Because if it happens in reality in about 15 years, I have to remember this sermon, all right? Because it's easy to preach, but I'll probably actually kill Declan in the future is what I'll do, all right? But, uh, but no, but you see what I did there? You see what I did there? Dealing with the reality of it, she is sleeping with somebody. She is sexually active. That's the reality of it. I have to navigate through that, and I have to help her navigate through that. But I am not going to just go, well, she's an adult, it's her life, it's her body, whatever. No, 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 no. I'm not letting go of the ideal. I'm still going to aim for the ideal. I'm still going to aim for what is best for her and the preferred future that I want my daughter to have and the preferred future that I think that God wants her to have. But I can do that. I can navigate through what is real, and I can still aim for the ideal. And here's the thing. I can do it by being all grace and all truth. Because I told her I disagreed with it, didn't I? I told her that this is not okay. But at the same time, I told her, I want you to come home. And I want you to want to come home. And I want you to know that I love you no matter what. That is my honest answer as a pastor and as a father. Because here's the thing, I know because I watched it happen to my friends. If you do nothing but smack down the truth and tell her she's going to hell, she's not going to come home. And if I just give her grace and let her do what she wants, then I know I'm going to lose my daughter. So I got to do both. I got to be all grace and I got to be all truth. And I got to live in this tension between the real and the ideal. And that is where we need to be as parents. Because here's the thing. If we don't help our kids navigate through the reality of life, reality and truth will smack them in the face. Guys, listen to me. We need to help our kids navigate through the real. We need them to understand that sometimes we lose. That sometimes we don't get what we deserve. That we are not entitled to anything. That hard work pays off and sometimes it doesn't. We have to teach our kids how to be responsible. We have to help them have social awareness. We have to help them have sexual integrity. We have to teach them, teach them these things because if we don't, we are setting them up for failure in the future. Because one day, they will have a job, they will be put in a place where they will have parameters, and they will not be able to be entitled, and they will not be able to get everything they want, and they will not be able to interrupt anybody that they want, and they will not be able to walk over everybody like they want. So would you please, in your household, stop letting them do that with you? Because moms, how they treat you as a mother is one day how they will treat their wives or their husbands. And fathers, how they treat you is one day how they will treat their husbands and their wives. So we have to help them navigate through the reality of things now. But here's the other thing. We also have to aim for the ideal. There is a preferred future for our children. You know this. You had a preferred future at one point in time. 
and you made decisions along the way that took you off of that path, and you navigated through that. That's good. That's great. And we all know that that's possible in any situation. However, that doesn't mean we should let go of the ideal preferred future that is possible for our kids. There is a possible ideal future that they would never touch alcohol, that they would never experiment with drugs, that they would have sexual integrity, that they would only have one partner in life, that they would be healthy, that one day they won't be dependent on medications or the government or any other outside organization to help them through. There is a preferred future where our kids will not be in debt. Just because we went through it and survived doesn't mean we should expect that they are going to have to do the same. And here's the thing. Some of our kids will never even attempt to aim for the ideal because their parents took their eye off the target a long time ago. We have to not take our eye off of the ideal and our kids do not have to live through the same mistakes that we did. They do not have to go through the same pain that we did. I know you survived. I know you made it through it. I know it all worked out by God's good grace. But we do not have to let them let go of it. It is okay, parents, for you to look at your kids and say, look, don't be like me in this area. It is okay to look at your kids and to say, be better than me. Parenting, parenting is preparing your kids for their future. How do we do that? By helping them. By helping them to navigate through what is real and aim for what is ideal. While being, while being all grace, all truth, all the time. That is the best parenting advice I could give you. And over this month, we're going to unpack this. And we're going to look at what this looks like. And here's the deal. We here at Anchored Hope, Anchored Hope Church are dedicated to helping you get this right. So here's what we've done. Over the next year, we are going to have once a quarter an event called Parent Labs. And we want all the parents to come, and we want you to invite friends. And the first thing that we're going to tackle is how to talk to your kids about sex, sexual integrity, the LBGTQ, transgender conversation, sexual identity, all of it. Because here's the thing. Your teenagers are asking us about it. And here's the thing I've learned. If you don't help your kids navigate through the truth and the reality of things, TikTok will. Snapchat will. The kid on the bus will. If you're not first, they will trust you last. And they'll go, well, my mom and dad must have lied to me about that. What else did they lie to me about? I don't want you to be in that position. So we have to help you as a staff and as leaders and as concerned parents. We have to help you navigate through these conversations and give you the tools you need to talk to your kids about these topics and conversations because it's coming, folks. 
It's coming for the little ones. It's coming for the grade school kids. It's already there. Your, 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 your middle schoolers and your teenagers are already going through it. I want to help you. And so in July, it's at the end of July. It's going to be on a Sunday night. I want you to be there at that parent lab. Come to this conversation. I want to help you. The other thing that we're going to do is we are getting deep into our schools. We are going to help our schools. We are going to equip our teachers. We are doing all kinds of stuff in the future to inspire and to work with our teachers. Because we feel like here as a church, if we can give the parents and the teachers the tools they need to inspire and to work with this next generation, we will all be better off for it. So, today what I want to do and how I want to end, I want to give you three questions to continue the conversation. You know our, our small groups are going to be on break this summer, and so I want to give you just three questions. And you can take a picture of it if you want. We're going to put it on our social media as well. But as a parent or person of influence, what's something that you want to emulate or not emulate from your family of origin? And what areas could you do a better job of striving for the ideal, even when knowing what's real may prevent it? And would you would you say you extend more grace or truth towards others? And where do you need to show more grace or more truth? I think as a family, this would be a great conversation to have on the way home. This would be a great conversation for you and your spouse or you and a friend to have. Because this is important. This is going to set you up to be the best parent you can be or the best influencer you could be in the year 2022. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much today for your son who is all grace and all truth. Would you help us help our kids to navigate through what is real, but aim for the ideal? Would you help us to do that, being all grace and all truth all the time? In your name we pray, amen. Hey, I am so glad that you joined us today, and I hope now that you know what we're talking about, you invite somebody to listen to this message. You invite somebody to come next week. I want you guys to go grab your kids, come back into this room. We're going to have ice cream sundaes, pictures in the back. I hope you guys have a great week. See you guys later.